In every real estate transaction, something comes up that the buyer or seller may have a question about. But in the heat of the moment, the question goes unanswered. Each episode, I talk with real estate experts and real estate vendors to provide a look at what goes on behind the scenes in the real estate world to get you answers. I blend in local Santa Cruz history, add some tips and tricks, all designed to help you be successful in your next real estate project. Tell your friends you can't talk right now because you are with The Realtor Lady. Hi, this is Michelle Riplogel and you're with The Realtor Lady. And today I'm with Greg Mann, my broker. Greg is uh, one of the most favorite people I, I love to talk to because we care so much about what we do and um, our industry. And we, we've solved all the real estate problems in the world every time we've had lunch. Nobody's listening. Um, but we, we, we really care. And there's a, there's a lot of good exchange. And it makes me feel better about what I do because there's a lot of things that come up and makes me not feel so great about what I do sometimes. So it's always nice to talk to Greg and um, yeah, take it away, Greg. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. I'm honored to be back. And yeah, I would definitely say that you nailed it with that lead in that. Yeah. After we talk, I feel like we do solve some problems. If nothing else, we diagnose some things. Maybe we don't come up with the medicine or the solution. <laughs> I think we do. I'm just <laughs> now, um, we just uh, had a few minutes before we started talking about an article that was in Inman. And that article was by, do you see a name there? We do need to cite that person. Yes, I do have a name. This is an article by a person named... Brett Weinstein, the CEO and founder of some kind of an outfit in Denver. Okay. Um, and give me a, give me the highlights on that article. We were, we were kind of going back and forth on some of that. So I thought there was some good stuff there. Um, yeah, there is. I think it was applicable to, you know, what we're pondering today. Um, and, you know, of course it's on my mind. And so I'm seeing what I want to see in it a little bit. So I can't say that I'm going to capture the uh, article for someone else that might read it, but I can offer you this, that um, there's, you know, much ado about the Department of Justice and the National Association of Realtors kind of duking out, you know, our practices. And, um, you know, often it revolves around concepts with antitrust and uh, things like that, MLS and association arrangements and super key, et cetera. Um, and it was an opinion article and this person did have an opinion and I can't say that I would endorse it completely, but I do understand the heart of this opinion and I don't disagree, which really is, if we are professionals and get better and we're really good at our job, then the focus doesn't necessarily need to be on value proposition and, you know, defending our income. And that this person articulated this fairly well and made comparisons to other trades that I think are worthy comparisons. And I've often wondered why we have a trade that didn't involve similar things like certificates or 
mentorships that are required, um, et cetera. And so anyway, so it was a, it's a good read. I recommend it. Um, it says the, the title I should share is NAR, Stop Fighting for Commissions, Make Better Realtors. Boom. I know. I had to drop that title. I mean, if someone sees this and they want to read it, at least now they can find it. But that is kind of like a nice period on the sentence. And see, I mean, we've only been talking a couple minutes and I can already see it. You go get a certificate. It takes about two years. You do it at night, like my husband did. You can apprentice during the day. Your license basically comes after you've put in so many hours. There's a lot of agents out there that would love to have a assistant apprentice. Um, then you can specialize, you can go off and do certain, all those little certificates that they try to sell us, but actually those would be classes of being green certified or, you know, uh, commercial or any of those other facets and actually learn those and learn habits that hopefully are, are better. And I think that part of that guy's complaint, I'm sure is going to be of how much cleanup there is when you're working with an agent that just isn't as skilled or being on the other side and just watching that other side get just hammered because that person doesn't know what they're doing. There's really not much you can do about it. You just kind of, okay, we give us the keys. We get the house. They could have gotten so much more money. Okay. We're, you know, that's right. Yeah. And, and I wanted to talk about, and I still want to continue the conversation in the podcast for as long as I do it is about the value of realtors and the, and the value of people who care and actually spend time in their industry. We, we talked about um, already this morning, we had a great discussion about the market. That's super important. Those are professionals that really know what's going on. And we kind of impart that information to each other and it makes us better realtors. And I don't know, how many people actually get to work with those people or us as it were and, and experience that, that level. Cause I certainly meet and see a lot of people that aren't at that, that level of professionalism. And I love this memo you sent me by Vicki Nadorf. Is that, did I say her name right? You did. Do you want yeah, to summarize it, it a little bit? And then at some point it's a boring, it's a boring part of the conversation, but I need just a little primer on dual agency because buyers and sellers hear that a lot. And I think it's a good place to just remind them how that came about and why it's such a big deal for them. They're just signing a piece of paper, but it's a big deal in our industry. If we could talk a little bit about that after you summarize the memo. Well, this memo came about in 1995 when I was the ripe old age of 14, already practicing real estate. Just kidding. Um, were you, you were 14 then? <laughs> yes. <laughs> my first house. It was a great decade. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, 1995, um, you know, the age of the memo and it's how much it applies today uh, shed some light on the author and, and, the expanse of their knowledge and um, their ability to conceptualize and, and, and write. Um, she actually wrote a book, but it wouldn't, wasn't published by a choice. And the name of the book was death takes a listing. Oh, so there you go. But 
Um, anyway, so she's a one, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. And she, um, you know, for many years, I had the um, pleasure of being mentored by her and um, learned a lot of what I know about real estate from her. And, you know, in 1995, she was very active. She was for many years after that. But in this time frame, there was a period of market conditions that caused some people to question getting a realtor or how much should I pay a realtor or whatever. Um, and it finally got brought to this level that, you know, this person that works for the legal department says, okay, I'm going to kind of spell this thing out in some terms that maybe there's even the ability to create fear if you don't have a realtor, but very genuinely and legitimately because of the pitfalls that are out there and available to you, no matter where you are listening today. But if you're a buyer or a seller listening in California, hey, congratulations, you're at the top of the list on risk. Um, selling real estate in California is probably in the world, the highest risk um, you know, place to sell real estate. Anyway, this is a great memo that basically outlines the job description of a realtor that you know, in a nutshell, you know, everything kind of stems from agency and agency law and the fiduciary duties that are owed to a principal, which, you know, agencies and fiduciary duties are the highest under the law. It's the highest duty owed, right? So we get a license and then we're, of course, not practicing law. We don't practice law. We don't offer legal advice, but we have as high of a duty to our clients as it gets under the law. And, um, you know, there's about a thousand different ways you could provide examples of where does that come into play and how does that matter? You have a duty of loyalty, the duty of this, that, and the other thing. And um, anyway, this article kind of spelled it out to enable sales associates at the time to better capture a summary to say to clients or explain to clients, here's a little bit of what's going on when you hire us, you know? And it, it's interesting because, you know, Michelle, when he talked about having this podcast today, this came to mind and yeah, that um, here we are 26 years later and it's very similar um, and very applicable. I, I still think, um, I still think we're in a better place in terms of value we did talk about the phys for sale by owners not coming back. There are still lower commissions out there, but I just don't see very many listings without a realtor involved somewhere. So yeah. NAR could have done a good job somewhere along the line to, to get that value up or people are just not interested in, in working that hard to keep it together. But tell us a little bit about dual agency as if you weren't talking to a realtor. Ah, okay. Well, one thing that isn't readily known to many people that, you know, aren't real savvy in the industry here is that dual agency can occur even if it's two different humans that are the realtors, if they work under the same broker license. And so at, for example, Coldwell Banker, you know, Michelle Replogel would represent a seller and another Coldwell Banker sales associate would represent a buyer that's dual agency. Um, you know, agency laws were sort of modified and it was a cleanup law effort, they called it, 
think it was in 2018. And the, it, it confused the issue because the fundamental principles of agency say that a broker licensee is ultimately the agent and that sales associates under the broker license are an extension, but ultimately the broker licensee is responsible. Hence, even two different humans under the same broker licensee, that's dual agency. And the 2018 cleanup laws were an attempt to, you know, make it okay for all of us to call each of the individual's agents. Really, they were called sales associates because they were associates of the broker or a broker's associate as well. But anyway, that was an interesting effort that CAR primarily made and worked with legislature in California. And now, you know, our purchase agreement is different when we confirm agency where you have the brokerage firm and you have an agent representing the seller, agent representing the buyer. And yet it's kind of funky because really the agent is the broker, but the cleanup laws enabled our slang to be okay. <laughs> so there's a little fun fact for you. So in the fifties, you were really only represented by one person though, right? Sixties, fifties. Yes. And really it centered around the seller. Everything centered around the seller and sub-agency started to occur, right? Where there was sub a, 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 somebody working for the buyer would become the sub-agent of the seller's agent, which you can imagine is as clear as mud. And, you know, buyers did not really get representation on an equal level that a seller would get, right? Meaning buyers had to just, essentially a big buyer beware disclaimer slapped across everything. Whereas, you know, in the eighties and nineties, it really started to change, especially in California where we've really kind of pioneered how real estate professionals probably ought to be arranged and work for principals. Um, and buyers gained a lot of rights and a lot of court cases modified what our best practice guidance would be. So litigation really molded better buyer representation. Um, and I guess, yeah, I think that was late eighties, you know, so it's not that long ago, you know, this article is 95, right? So. Well, um, the reason I had you even talk a little bit about dual agency though, is that that is still in our psyche of the seller being able to get the deposit. I am still asked by buyers uh, about the deposit and is the buyer, is the seller going to keep it? And I think when I bought my house 30, 20, 35 years ago, 25 years ago it, to an escrow company, it didn't go to the, I mean, that, that was a long time ago, but yeah. it's still floating around there that the seller is somehow in control from that whole, it used to just be about the seller. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and part of the conditions today, which, you know, are pretty extreme, you know, we might refer to it as a seller's market, um, you know, fewer, if any contingencies involved in purchase contracts. And so the fear is there and, you know, the competitive buying environment you know, causes people to assume more risk to get picked and get the house. Um, and yeah, the, the topic of deposits is one that, 
is difficult to navigate when you can't practice law, um, you know? And so realtors have to be really educated to help manage expectations on both sides um, because often there's a misconception, well, if they don't do this thing, then they're in breach and that equals the deposit changing hands, right? And the qualifying language involved there, the definitive terms used are used recklessly often um, because it's a process and it involves, you know, it, it can start as a negotiation and it can end as a dispute that goes through a resolution process. And so, you know, I don't know if I hit on that dual agency thing, but that deposit element and yeah, the dual agency component of it, well, you know, different people have their different views on is dual agency a good thing or a bad thing if it's even the same human, right? Versus dual agency where it's two different humans representing principals at the same brokerage, which to me, that is different, you know, um, versus where you have one person representing both sides. And some people feel that that isn't necessarily fair. Um, and that's okay. It's an opinion piece, you know. I had, um, I have this listing on um, a condo and I've had so many contacts on this listing. It was the price point. And I had a buyer who called me, he wanted me to reduce my commission. And I said, well, I'm not doing that. I work hard on my listings and I'm just not going to, you know, I'm not going to represent you and reduce my commission. Basically in my mind was working twice as hard, taking less pay. And I, I was just like, there's no reason for me to do that. I don't see any benefit in that. You need to go get an agent. And he kind of laughed because he got called on it and, it was like, what do you do? Does anybody come and ask you to take less to do more? And, and he, he actually kind of thought it was funny. Um, but anyway, he, he took it well. And I, I said, go get a realtor. He was an appraiser. So he knows everybody. Right. And he waited a week and then said, I, you know, my agent was in France or something. Huh. He's in contract. <laughs> so there's a couple things there representation, uh, commission, dual agency, there was all this stuff going on. And I was, he goes, you know, you're the most honest realtor I've ever talked to. <laughs> you just told me you didn't want to do it. And you told me why, and you were nice about it. Right. But it would have been nice if he'd followed my advice. If he thought I had so much integrity, that would have been great. He might have. And then I found his offer in the spam folder this morning. <laughs> from Friday his agent never called me to say did you get it oh no this guy I I just feel like he's just been he, he just I don't know and you know if you hire a buyer's agent that's that's good to go and 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 that none of that would happen he might have gotten it before this buyer yeah, but yeah. He, somehow he saw a shortcut in the long way around I have to I have to assume that the agent that prepared the offer for this gentleman may have had some kind of an arrangement with regards to the commission. And if there were a penalty for, you know, asking people to just work for less because, I think he experienced it when that agent didn't pick up the phone, call, 
text, drive, say, hey, we have a really good offer. I'm going to represent this gentleman. Here's a qualification letter or proof of funds. Those are things that a good real estate professional would do those things. But a real estate professional that may offer a discount may or may not do the things that take more time. Time is money. And, you know, interestingly enough, that ties into this memo where one of the first things that was written is a realtor sells their time and manages to save time for the principals. So if you're selling your time for cheap, you know. But he also violated the fiduciary rule as well by not making sure that offer was in my real inbox. And that, so they both, um, yeah. They're... His duty of care may or may not have been reached. <laughs> you know, you kind of get what you pay for, I guess. You kind of get what you pay for. And, you know, it's interesting that um, how, you know, you kind of feel like he felt called out, right? And how he says, gosh, you're the most honest realtor. And you think, how insulting actually is that if you slow down and think about I was too busy patting my own back to notice. <laughs> it's it's fairly insulting to think, wait a minute, I waved money in front of you and you didn't just compromise your integrity is kind of what that feels like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so hey, Michelle Replogle is happy working for this seller. She's going to do a great job. And, you know, she doesn't mind not making a little bit more money working also on the other side of the table for this buyer with the profile that they have, you know, of the discount request and, you know, questionable conversation. Yeah. Well, ironically, I had a seller ask me the same thing. Could you represent both sides and, and take less commission? And I said, so you want me to list the property and market the property? I was going to help her get the carpets changed, get it cleaned, have it serviced. There's some stuff that needed to be done. And then when the buyer comes, do all the buyer work and then take less money. And she looked at me and she goes, oh. Oh, you're, oh my gosh. Yeah, right. Okay, never mind. I'm sorry I said that. It's just nice. I mean, I wasn't trying to call her to the mat. I was just like, it ain't happening. And that, you know, that, but, but this memo really ties into that because I think um, the, the whole idea of the podcast is to get, give people an idea of what we do. But I'm really also trying to make sure that people who are on, convey the the integrity and the value that I'm also looking for to make sure that people know there's a lot of really great people out there that really have your your best interests at heart and they aren't chasing a paycheck. I I think after 2007 even when the market just tanked once I stopped looking at commission checks and how much they were it it was such a better business and the the interactions got better. So having realtors look at their pay and not look at the client is, is sad. It happens, but there's a lot of people that don't. They just like the business and the challenge. It's because it is. Yeah. I recently spoke to another great real estate professional and something 
that this person said was really interesting. In a nutshell, you know, prices are soaring and this person was considering buying a home and the concern was the home is so expensive, the mortgage payment would be so high, even though I'm a fairly successful realtor. Oh my God, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I'm worried that this may very well cause some financial distress and I would less likely be able to say, no, I won't take a job. And that I am not comfortable with because I have to be able to say, no, I won't take a job because it makes me more successful. It makes me a better realtor. And it influenced this person's decision-making in their own personal endeavors for a primary residence. You probably know who I'm talking about. I'm a fan of this person. I think you are as well. Yeah, no, um, I know who it is. And, and um, I, I think there's also I, that downturn also that downturn was good. I think it really kind of seared some butts and got some people out of the business that didn't have the best intentions. My own opinion is that the realtors that are coming in today, it is trial by fire. And if you, if you, if you can't stay on the ledge, you're out. It's, it's, it was a, it was kind of a slower roasting in the earlier years, but today I think that fire is up a lot higher and, and that, you just got to have staying power and you have to, you know, it's just so different now. And I, I, I feel for people coming in and I think that downturn was, that was an education that you just can't buy. Yeah. I mean, our Santa Cruz association of realtors member population decreased by half in 2008. And, um, yeah, it um, it really kind of weeded it out, right? And how many you know, people are, I mean, there's a lot of people in now, but I don't know how many of them are actually. I mean, you you look across the real estate landscape. If they're not from out of the area, for the most part, there's really just a certain amount doing. Yeah, I know it was always that way, but it seems even more so now. Um, how many realtors are there now in the county? There are about one thousand four hundred and fifty who are a member of the Santa Cruz Association of Realtors, give or take about a dozen. Um, standard, you can kind of rule a thumb figure that one half of those people did zero transactions last year. Um, and I will throw out this, this is kind of an opinion, but it's, it's more theory um, or hypothesis even. Um, Generally, they say the 80-20 rule is the deal, you know, so 80% of the business is done by 20% of the realtors. And that may be true, generally speaking, you know, proportion. Um, what I found interesting is that I think through the sort of climaxing months of the pandemic, you know, a couple months in, and then for like a half year solid, I want to say it went to 90-10. And I don't really have any big genius thing to say about that other than that meant something you know there was something to the fact that in the heat of it it went from 80 20 to 90 10 and i've had a lot of people that track stats say that is sounds about right and it might have been a longer time than six months or the duration of the 90 10 and it may still be adjusting you know maybe back to the 80 20 but anyway i thought that was remarkable 
that you have a disruption in the world on that level and in everybody's lives and 10% of real or the 10 realtors, you know, 10% really charged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back to the memo. One of the things I like, she said, a realtor can negotiate at arm's length without the personal and emotional involvement that may hamper the principles. Negotiations must be kept on track. Realtors are able to prevent the principals from getting hung up on any one item and or leaving important issues uncovered. I had just done a buyer seller quick podcast talking about sleeping on it because buyers and sellers tend to be a bit impulsive and sellers may take an offer and go, oh, wait, wait, I, I needed two weeks at the end. of oh, I don't have anywhere to go. Or um, buyers like, no, I want them to take that awful fridge with them. Well, here we are. We're at a point where we don't get to negotiate after the contract is signed, basically. you got to be all in pretty much. And it is our job to help them understand all the little facets. I mean, I always ask the seller, what do you want? Let's make sure we know. But please keep track of what you want because while I manage your buyer, your contractor, the negotiations, the disclosures, and all the people at uh, the lender, I may not remember that one little term that you want. So make sure that you really have a firm list of what you want until we can get you that. But even me saying that is a huge, is a huge thing to the seller going, look, this is what you need to do. This is part of your job. And that's my job is to tell them what their job is. It doesn't mean I have to micromanage and do everything. I don't have to think for them. I don't have to make their bed or, or, well, I'm not going to say do their dishes before an open house because we all know we've done that. I've also moved underwear, guns, paychecks, money, um, you name it. I've moved it. But um, th those are the things that we do. And that's, you know, trying to highlight what we do. And I love it. She really actually says that and so eloquently in that in that sentence. doesn't mean that the, the, the realtor has to do everything for you, but they are going to keep it on track for you. That is the Keeping negotiations on track, yeah. So how many times do people say, well, it's the principle of it that bothers me, right? You know, the personal and emotional piece. Yes. Overwhelming. And I'll tell you, something that reinforces this concept is that I watch real estate professionals do what they do every day. Every now and then, I see a real estate professional buy or sell real estate personally. And they're a completely different person. Every single one of them. So even a real estate professional who buys and sells real estate, you know, helping people buy and sell real estate every day, successful, top producing type real estate professional who then decides I'm gonna buy this house or sell my house. I hate to say it, but they almost just totally fall apart. <laughs> it doesn't work real well. And they think, oh, I can actually represent myself and how fun. And But then often the first thing I'll say is, is get someone to help you. <laughs> I, so I bought and sold not long ago. I, I sold a townhome that I had bought and I bought a home, hopefully forever home. And I hired my dad. I said, hey, look, man, I'll pay you, but I know I can't do this. 
<laughs> I've been in the business, you know, 15 plus years and I, I can't do it. And I still struggled. I was up losing sleep on the purchase of the replacement, the home that I was like, oh my gosh, I hope I can get this home. Losing sleep. I had to stop myself from calling my realtor obsessively to cool me off, right? So to me, that experience for me, and as I observe real estate professionals go through that experience, just reinforces that no one is so cool that they don't get emotionally or personally involved and potentially unnecessarily even derail a transaction. Hence the content of the article, that paragraph. Right. Well, I, I am, I am one of those unemotional, but I did learn the value of actually buying a home without a physical contingency. Ah, I enjoyed that transaction. It wasn't fun watching my home inspector come out of the crawl space, nodding his head going, what are you doing? Oh my God, you're going to die. It's a death trap. Um, the hot water heater, so the seller was just crazy, kind of wandering around with this huge dog and a bottle of rosé and literally just half clothed, wandering around the property. I'm not kidding. This is in Live Oak, of course. And turns out the, uh, the flu from the water heater was rotted out. So all the fumes from the water heater had been going in the house. So we couldn't decide if he was drunk, high, or just off from carbon monoxide. And so he saw that he, he went into the house. He, he, he was all over the house. He was just like, what are you doing? This is a nightmare. And I was like, I want it. I don't care. And when we got in there, you know, of course the bills added up. That house is worth more than my house today. The house that I lovingly work on, put effort into, think carefully about every finish, that house has doubled and a half in value hmm. because I bought it. I just had to have it and I wasn't overthinking it. And I don't know, it, 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 it worked out. But I did try to buy another one last year and I felt the seller was hiding something and I really got a taste of what a buyer feels like, even though I can explain it to them and help them understand. But her boyfriend was on title and they wanted me to hire a lawyer to get him off title. Huh. Me, the buyer. That's the, it says right in the contract, you have to provide it, right? There's this in there or something's in there. So <laughs> then they told us that the city uh, just wanted us to do a few fixes. We got on a Zoom call with the city. The city, the, the woman was like, she was turning red in the face. She, she was not even sitting down. She was so angry about this property. And um, I woke up the next morning, told them we're canceling, we're out. We, we, on that one, we actually still had some contingencies. And my husband said, well, where along the line? I mean, there was so much going on, but what, where was your end point? And funny enough, it was, I didn't mind the, 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 the city yelling and whatever problem they had. It was taking somebody off title because to me, that was a clue something more was going on. And that was where the legal battle was going to come. And it was that, that spidey sense of, uh-oh. Now, buyers 
get paranoid because they get in their own head and they start talking. And then there's always someone whispering in their, their ear of somebody that they heard or a neighbor or this or that. And we can usually calm that down or, or, or smooth that over for them. But if something like that came up for my buyer, we, we all would have definitely been out. But um, I think it's good to have a realtor who's actually bought and sold. I, I really do. I don't want to discount people who don't. There's a couple of good realtors in town that I know don't own property, but it's like a principal that doesn't have kids. I just, you know, I, I just think you have to, you have to, our first house, the, the carpet was moldy because they, they cleaned the carpets so much and left all the windows closed. And so the, 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 the carpet was just never the same. Um, the, the, the neighboring property actually dumped water and flooded our crawl space. Never disclosed that. And I, and I get it, but, at the same time, we got a great house, so it, it worked out, but I think it's good to be on the buying selling side. I would agree. If nothing more, to maintain a level of sympathy. Yeah. And it can be that if you're helping a lot of people, you know, you're having success and you're very productive, that the mechanics, you know, you just have that momentum of the mechanics navigating through and every person is different. And some of them have emotions that are different than others. And we have to account for that in our guidance. And when we manage expectations, because if they really want the property, we have to help them get it. Even if, they're their own worst enemy as they're trying to get it. So yeah, I agree. I think that a realtor who has bought and sold property, you know, maybe not even too long ago, maybe minimum once per decade, it's a solid reminder. This is what that feels like. And it's just like how I mentioned that no matter how many people you've helped buy and sell property, once you become the buyer or the seller, you can't, be your own realtor (laughs) just pretty much doesn't work because we do more than just the mechanics. You can, you know, the forms, you have access to them, you know, where to put what, but that's not even close to half of the job. So therein lies the pressing need for a realtor to hire a realtor when they're buying or selling. Ironically, the article is really about buyer representing themselves. And here's a realtor representing themselves. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, it's just kind of funny. It is. Of course, the list where I had most of my notes, I actually enjoyed this. I thought it was a really good, um, just a good reminder of what we do, or even sometimes. I mean, I would recommend sending it out just as a reminder of, so we understand what we do. I think some agents too get really wrapped up and I'm selling this and I'm doing that. And it's like, well, how much help did you give or, 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 you know, I was on the phone today for a while with it, with a seller and, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation. We got a little bit of stuff done. Um, but I think she just, she needed to talk and that's, 
you know, what are you going to put in? Here's what I'll do for you. Well, I'll talk to you when you feel like talking about it. Or, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, when your, your kid won't keep the house clean before an open house, you know, we'll talk about it. I mean, you know, that, those are the things you can't really put in a, what I'm going to do for you. And that's description. what I'm trying to say is that it's really hard to, you know, quantify what, what we do for people. And that's, partly what this podcast is, is just kind of helping people understand what do we do and the nuances of that. And I've, I've talked to other agents. It's always thrilling to me when I interview other agents from other areas and I must pick them because there's something about them when they talk about how they helped a buyer or seller and not necessarily uh, get the highest price, but um, a gal went out in the bushes and got poison oak and the agent had to kind of figure out how to help get her in a, you know, <laughs> how to deal with that. And um, I was selling a property in freedom and there was this huge pond. This, this woman had put this amazing pond in it and it had this beautiful green layer on it and it looked like a, a lawn. And you know, this kid came running in to run in this lawn and went, right in the pond. She was tall enough and it wasn't too deep. And she actually ended up sinking down in it and we got her out. And I was just mortified, of course. And I, I, we got her all packed up in, in the car and the buyer. And um, I, I took a sample of the water and took it to her in a cup. So I said, you know, here's the water. If you want to get it sampled in case something, you know, I was just so nervous. I, I've sold her house. She bought another house and her mom bought and sold with me a couple times because I, I was just, the little girl was in the pond. You know, I was not thinking about all this other real estate stuff. You know, that, that was where my, that's where I was at. So that, that's, that's the real try. I think you should hire. I agree. I think that, you know, there's a little bit of that glamor and glitz vain element readily available for anyone that would like to get a license. Um, and yeah, I've never felt more fulfillment than the happiest client at the end of a closed escrow. I mean, yep. that's the fulfillment that I daily, part of what I love being back in the offices now that we can walk into our offices now and all that is I get to see the success, which is described as here's why I helped this person. They couldn't get this one. They didn't get that one. They finally got this one. And the cherry on top was, you know, it was perfect for their dog, you know? And it's like, you know, I'm going to sleep well tonight. I'm happy. I'm going to like, you know, today was a good day. <laughs> it's like, those are the moments. And you know, those are those little things that uh, we put up with a lot of hard times and, you know, um, time goes by in between opportunities and, you know, unless you close the transaction, there's no income. And so there's stress, but then you get one of those and those create more opportunities anyway, but the fulfillment is better than the financial gain. What's funny is the fulfillment or the uh, a job well done is no phone calls. 
Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, that's not so different than managing. Whereas, oh yeah, things are going well. <laughs> My phone hasn't rung much today. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we are all doing is risk management. You know, and you know, often happy times, you don't hear as much about, oh, this is perfect, you know, and then you get maybe a thank you, but this is wrong, that's wrong, this went wrong, I'm unhappy, here's all the reasons why, a little more thorough, a little more, you know, so yeah, it's, um, it's an art and a science to have a home and two parties and a transaction, and it all goes through, and at the end of the day, you know, your client's totally happy. Um, let alone maybe the other person is as well. How fun would that be? It's ultimately um, to me that you can be the best negotiator and end up with a win-win. I think rather than, I don't think the best negotiator is, we won, they lost. And so, you know, it kind of ties into this thing. That too in our business though. And that happens. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, misconception as to what success is in our industry, but also beyond. But yeah, in our industry, it's, it can be exacerbated. Um, I wanted to ask you before we are done, one thing I've noticed, it happened to me last year and it happened to someone else we know well this year is when a buyer requests that you go to the seller, maybe without an offer even written, that work be performed and the house be brought to some sort of standard, to the buyer's standard. And when the agent doesn't do that, the agent's fired. And it happened to me last year, but honestly, it it, it was okay because they could not afford the house. They, They couldn't afford Santa Cruz. And I think it just actually, that was that was probably their more graceful exit to fire me and somehow blame it on me. What do you say to that? Not really um, to the public almost, but I mean, to that whole idea that somehow agents are responsible for making that house, what you want it to be and that they're not a good negotiator if they don't somehow do that. Right. Oftentimes, the consumer perception of what a realtor does, you know, it varies, but it's usually oversimplified. Hence this whole discussion. And one of the things that's common is, oh, a good negotiator, right? So can a good negotiator pull a rabbit out of their hat, you know? Because if they can't pull a rabbit out of their hat, well, they're not a good negotiator. So to make a miracle come to pass, Otherwise you're fired is a tough position to be in as a realtor. So yeah, in a seller's market, such as the one we're in, we'd like you to improve this home. We might very well buy it if you do. Thank you very much. Make it happen, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, there's something off with the expectations of the of the consumer in that scenario off with regards to reality, the home, the seller and what agents do. Cause agents, 
occasionally do pull rabbits out of the hat, but you know, it's not always possible to do. And it's not be I did a, a hiring and firing criteria. I managed to get a single party counter. And yeah, I was doing my job. They said, we want this place. We're good. Go get it. And that was it. You know, I was like, oh, I can do, I can do that. I can't make them fix the garage to your standards or, you know, I can't make them take the chicken coop out that you don't like. And you haven't even written an offer, but I have somebody who's written an offer, go get it. So, I mean, there, there's that partnership. We have to understand, you know, where, what negotiation isn't just this agent out there running on their noble steed, you know, jousting and getting you it. It's, it's that whole, there's this whole kind of symphony that goes on and then you, you get it. So that's how people succeed too. in that multiple offer situation is how they help that realtor be successful too. It's not like they can just run out and just grab it. You have to be on board. There's stuff you have to do too. It's true. I like both of those words, the partnership. It's true. It is a partnership. There is a match, you know, or there is not a match. You know, you have to choose wisely when choosing a realtor, you know, and um, it's a partnership. And, you know, the symphony element is real true. More than ever do we need the whole orchestra to be on the same note at the same time for things to go through to the end and for your phone not to ring as much because everybody's happy and it all is working. <laughs> phone's not ringing. You think, oh, but well, no, wait, the phone's not ringing. That's a good thing. Yeah, I was on the phone with a lender the other day and I was saying stuff. I mean, sometimes I marvel at how much I've done and how long I've been in the business and things came out of my mouth and I went, oh, that was good. You know, like it was like, oh, that's what a professional who knows what they're doing that has experience, you don't have to, overthink it there's no yelling because you're trying to overarch for what you don't know and what you don't understand it's just i don't think so and i think you need to pick up the phone and get going you know and then it happens but it wasn't it was all said very flowery and and it happened yeah there there there's a lot to be said for getting a professional and and in that i feel i feel sorry for for the newer people because i i know just getting those chops and maybe I got yelled at by a lot of realtors and a few lenders, you know, that might've helped with the stripes. I don't know how much that helped more. Um, but, but there's a lot, there was a lot of grittiness that I I don't know how much is there anymore. Um, people just don't answer you. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I'll throw it out there that sometimes, you know, things are not going to go well in a conversation when the person on the other end is describing the extent of their experience. Ooh. It can be a yellow flag when you start to hear the recital as to the years or number of units, you know. Or I like, no, this is my favorite one. Well, I don't know how long you've been doing this. Which, I mean, frankly, it may or may not be applicable. I mean, you know, there's something to be said about newer agents. Can I just tell you? I mean, they are likely the most freshest education. You know, the curriculum that they went from is 
updated. Yeah. You know, they attend the meeting, the event, the education, the, you know, they're passionate. They have time, they have you energy. know? Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> thrilled. They haven't been punched and kicked and shot at yet. Right. So. So there's something to be said, you know, I mean, but yeah, no, the experience helps. And, and, you know, in this, but I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say it over the other. I just, I, I just think some, some of the stripes are a little harder to get now, but you know, I mean, if you, yeah. a lot of context for a lot of businesses t- hard, you can get fired before you get started. And, and I just, I just, I, you know, I'm kind of grateful for the experience that I got. Uh, yeah. Cause like I said, now, if they have a question, it, you know, they just ghost you. It's just a thing now where you just, don't answer a text, a phone call, or an email, and you're just like, "What is going on?" And then all of a sudden, you see the property go pending. I mean, it happens to me too, and um, that's not a great way to get experience. Which even be yelled at by that agent or get a get feedback. And there's a lot of politeness in our business, which is dancing around the fact of, "Well, you wrote a really crappy offer," and you know, I've had agents. It's somebody who's really well known in the business wrote me a horrible offer last year. <laughs> And I've known him a long time. And I was like, you know, this was a really bad offer, right? He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> With a newer agent, I'm, uh, I don't know. It just, I was just like, you know, maybe if you, but then, but then even if you say, oh, well, maybe if you had done this, they might still get the idea that they would have gotten it. Right. You know, so then there's that too. And, um, but yeah, I, it, it's just an interesting business. It's it, I don't get tired of talking about it, obviously. Um, yeah. Well, hey, you started a podcast. <laughs> I do YouTube videos on it, and I also blog uh, about stuff. And uh, I did one of my best blogs this year was uh, regrets and how I felt I could have I could have written a better offer or I could have done better for the client and helping the the consumer understand that you're disappointed. We're disappointed. It's, it's not for trying. I can't remember the situation, but there was something that had come up and I, I just, some of it, I can't, I can't control and I can't overcome. And, and that's, you know, that's just kind of a bummer about on our side, we feel bad too. When things, we don't sit there and go, Oh, that jerk agent didn't let you, you know, didn't take your offer. It's just like, Oh, that sucks. And yeah. And like you mentioned ghosting, I mean, this is, very much a people business, right? And how complicated can it be to be in a people business with decreased accountability? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even just saying you didn't get it. In fact, there was a thread on uh, Facebook uh, for Mastermind Group, and it was, "Do you take the time to call all the other sell uh, the other all the other offers that they didn't get accepted?" There's a lot of agents that don't do that anymore. I had one agent, she got eight offers and she just said, oh, we're countering tomorrow. Crickets. When, and then after that, it didn't answer me. I mean, Some of the agents that I've admired over the years and considered role models, I can clearly remember them saying explicitly, I always call back every single buyer's agent because I want them to at least have some messaging, not only for themselves, but to pass along to that buyer. Because that buyer got, hopefully, likely, 
all of their qualifications in check. They looked at property. They thought about it. They discussed it with their family or their partner or whatever. And they finally said, let's do it. We'll put it in writing. You know, how does this work? Submit the offer. They lost sleep, hoping they were going to get the answer they were looking for. Don't ghost that person. Although I did have somebody, I told them they didn't get the offer. And she goes, a day later, she texts me after I called. Them, they didn't want it anyway. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, Way to go, stellar buyer's agent. You're just down right? there. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I was like, we'll be sure to, you know, present your offer in the best light in the future. Yep. You know, and, Off the pile. yeah, clearly this is, you know, who had the last laugh? I mean, we're talking about people and their dreams of homeownership and helping them have a good experience, not, aha, got you. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you know, that all the, all the interactions and the, the buyers and the, the sellers and the other agents and the lenders, um, and I've really found that if you talk with them, especially when things are getting stressful, let them go and, and let them give it to you. Um, it, it just takes out so much of the, of the fuel of the fire and everything just kind of smooths out after that. So avoiding them or ghosting them probably makes it worse. Yes. And they're going to draw conclusions, you know, yeah. on their own, you know, but the courtesy and the professionalism is a must. Well, and it generally it's, it's an investment that pays back. Because I remember you were the one, I remember you called me to personally tell me, I'm so sorry that your buyer wasn't, their offer was not selected, you know? And here's what I can tell you. What are you? <laughs> really can't tell them much, but yeah. Which is not a whole lot. Very much. I know. And things have changed in that regard. I just heard the other day that Oregon passed a law that you can no longer have the buyer letter that accompanies the offer. We have heavy recommendation not to write a, have the buyers write that letter, but Oregon passed a law, which frankly, I think, you know what, if this is best practice, which probably this is, then it needs to be a law. Otherwise it's not going to be uniform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Buyer love, buyer love letters. Um, I mean, I, I think to know a little bit, maybe not their ethnic identity or their jobs or uh, um, which you're going to find out from the proof of funds anyway. But um, I know a buyer got up higher in the offer pile because she understood the neighborhood and yeah. the seller was concerned that on the other ones that they would write these high offers to get in and then take a look, even maybe forfeiting a deposit based on it. Cause I've sold some properties and some neighborhoods that just aren't the best. They're not the, 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 you know, the top neighborhoods. And that really actually meant something to the seller. So that little tiny paragraph saying that they, they are known to the area and you know, that, that actually did help. So there you go. There's still value in that component, you know, describing how the property in the area is right for them and their awareness of 
what they're buying. We know what we want. We know what this is and we know we want it. Versus, ha, I didn't want it anyway. (laughs) They didn't want it anyway. (laughs) I also tell people when I'm explaining the fair housing disclosure that I had a property, a short sale in San Jose that had 17 offers, cute little house in one of those little neighborhoods. And um, one of the buyers drew a picture of him and his girlfriend. Uh, He worked at Google and he drew this little, like uh, kind of almost like one of those Disneyland, you know, kind of the big, well, she hated that. And she wouldn't look at the offer. She made me put that offer aside. They all had little paper clips. You know, I had my little list and everything. And she took that and she moved it aside and would not look at their offer. And man, I got, I, I got that disclosure and that whole idea straight up. She didn't, they had a picture of them too. And she was just done. She thought that was the stupidest thing ever. Hmm. And so I, I understood it. It wasn't really tied to anything ethnic per se. It was just that person put themselves out there in a way that she didn't want. She wanted to know how she was going to get out of this house and under her next situation. And they, they got in the way of that. It was a misfire. You know, what you think might appeal might work against you. So it's one more variable to consider if you add it. Probably just a little information, just a little bit of information, you know, but again, it may have to be either or. I know they're on the same forum. The uh, people in Oregon were complaining that was government overreach on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is really getting into that, into the weeds. That's for sure. Did we solve all the problems of real estate today? I think we got one step closer. Do you happen to have a copy of this book that takes a listing? I really wish I've requested it time and again. I'll make another pass. What's happening? What? We'll have to have a little book club. Yeah. She would be off, awfully tickled that <laughs> we're talking about her book on a podcast right now. I would love it. No, try to get it. Why don't you get it? And we can have a couple people will, uh, read it and we'll do a little uh, podcast on the uh, on the book. She, I'm on it. Yeah, she, uh, she has a lot of value to add to the conversation, I can tell. So. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. She, so she's has some medical issues or is she retired and done with the- close very close yeah she made some moves to take a little more control over her time um in recent years which is nice and yeah she her family is amazing she's very close with her family and she's had some milestones in the family realm that she's been able to be heavily involved with. And so the work-life balance, because this person is very devoted and passionate about their career. So the struggle for work-life balance was probably real. And the adjustments that were made, um, I'm kind of just a fly on the wall observing. I'm thinking, enabled a little bit more of some of the better things in life. 
Family time. Family time. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And um, just hope you listen to this. I'm going to download the podcast app. And then just have someone listen else to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not on my phone. I'll be, I'll be good with that. That'll be okay. Fun. You can even have someone in your family listen to it. You will have compelled me to download an app just to access your podcast. Well, actually, you don't. I've texted it to you. Just push play. You don't. <laughs> anyway well thank you again and i will um have you on again but i would challenge you to find this book and see if we can't do that worthy you know what i'm glad you bring that up i value every minute i get with this person whether it's their work or them and so this would be one more thing i could have awesome awesome well Thank you very much. And uh, I will probably talk to you soon, probably, right? Yeah. Hey, call me tomorrow if you want. Oh, I do need to. That's right. We have a few things we need to talk about, don't we? Yeah. Okay. 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 Talk to you later.